This is Bad Movies We Love, part of the Scheiss Podcast Network. Hello, everybody. It is officially season two back on track. We're here at season two, episode three. And I was joined today by one of the newest members of the Scheist International Film Club. And that's Nick's Eclipse. He came prepared to talk about a movie that has some connective tissue with another episode that we did to kick off season two and we're going to tell you all about that once we get the ball rolling so grab your rat burgers get your passport to fairyland ready and come with us on a journey into the world of troll from 1986 Creepy, perverted, yes, but dangerous. There are adult themes in here, but they're not in bed together. Let me catch up on today's Hollywood gossip. Because he looks surprised when he gets shot by the gun. Yeah, that's why I couldn't quite tell if he's like wearing her skin. The annoying little girl is like, yeah, you promised you're going to read a story to us. The dad is named Harry Potter, and that his son is also named Harry Potter. <laughs> Fuck continuity, let's just roll with it. Well, you heard the lady. Recording in progress. I'm well, quite well, amused. <laughs> thank you for not just taking the time to do the show, but to bring a movie to the table that I haven't seen and it's not exactly connected to another movie that we talked to, but it kind of seems like it is. And that's troll from 1986, not to be confused with troll from what was it last year? Uh, This, I think it's a Swedish movie. And this was directed by John Carl Buechler. Am I saying that correct? Beekler. Uh, yeah. All right. Fair enough. And it was written by him and Ed Naha. And it stars Michael Moriarty, Shelley Hack, Noah Hathaway, who we probably all know from The NeverEnding Story as Atreyu, and Jenny Beck, and also Sonny Bono. But we'll, we'll get to that. So why don't you tell me a little bit about why it was this movie that came to mind when I suggested uh, you pick something for bad movies we love. Well, I uh, I had not listened to the podcast yet, so I went to your first. <laughs> I know. I'm... I just I just finished <laughs> editing another one. Okay. <laughs> I have a lot to catch up with. Plus, you have so many. Um, so I, I'd never really listened. I'm not a big podcast person. I'm just getting into it now because uh, I met this group of people that are all doing it. 
And uh, the first episode was on Troll 2. You were talking with uh, Seth, Seth Vargas. Mm-hmm. And um, somehow he refused to even mention this movie. And this is by it. Troll 2 is an in name only sequel. Correct. Uh, they just took it because it was profitable. And I was very offended that Seth refused <laughs> to mention this film. So I, I thought justice was due. So I, I skipped bringing a Godzilla flick, which I know we'll get to and it'll be a lot of fun. But uh, I kind of wanted to talk about this. It's a movie I grew up with and I've seen so many times. I, I love it and I hate it. I understand that. And I guess my first follow-up question will be like, is this a movie for adults or for children? I don't think the movie knows whether it is or not. Okay. Uh, yeah, it's uh it it gets pretty graphic and, and extreme extreme at some points. And Sonny Bono Bono's character is apparently a swinger. Um, so it's got all this adult type things going on, but then it's got this lighthearted musical numbers and fairy tales and, and all this stuff going on. I don't think the movie ever figured out what it wanted to be. Yeah, that's a good point. When we first meet Sonny Bono, he runs downstairs and complains to this new family that's moved into the apartment building that he's trying to get some ass. And if (laughs) the kids are up at all hours of the night, make a noise, then he's going to, I think, quote, strike out, which he doesn't like the idea of. So his first introduction is this swinger upstairs who... Uh, just doesn't even like the fact that a family has moved in to the building at all. And I also think within the first couple of minutes is when the little girl goes into the basement laundry room and gets zapped or I assumed she got killed. And so my first instinct was, oh, this movie starts with a little girl dying. Okay, like I wasn't I didn't know exactly how dark we were going to go from that point. And I mean, it turns out later that she's kind of like not dead, but really just disembodied. Or I don't know if the troll was taking over her body or just taking over her essence. But it it starts off on very uneven footing, I will say. Yeah, because you start with a, a child being abducted by by a troll, which then takes her place. Um, and then you've got like 10 minutes, I think five, 10 minutes of all this comedy where you're introduced yeah. to all the different characters in, in the, uh, in the building. And I got to say that, that, that 10 minutes or so is pretty entertaining. It's pretty funny. It is. Especially- it's almost like a, like a sitcom where just all of a sudden everybody in the building is bumping into each other on the stairs. And we meet Julia Louis Dreyfus and her boyfriend. And we meet like the weird jogging guy whose name is Duke, because I guess <laughs> he looks like John Wayne and he's just jogging there in place, listening to his Walkman as if, you know, he doesn't have a care in the world. But there's a lot of bumping into each other right outside of the door of this family. So either the apartment building was just built very poorly because there's no room for anybody to get by. Or this is just like a very strange meet cute for everybody in the film. Yeah, it's like everybody's on the same schedule, either leaving or coming back at the <laughs> same time. Yeah, and I assume that they're moving in. It's got to be like a weekend or something, right? Because 
everybody's there. It's the middle of the day, I guess, you know, everyone is just kind of going about their business. Julie and her boyfriend going out to lunch. Sonny Bono's coming down just to, you know, scold them for moving in at all. The other guy's getting <laughs> in his daily exercise. I don't think we quite meet the the older lady upstairs who's a witch. Is she a witch? Um, yeah, she says later that she studied to become a witch at at at, at some point. Okay. That's I was looking at her and her character uh and i see like some of the stuff that's going on in her apartment and i'm like okay she's obviously like magical but is she like a full-on witch and i don't know if you have the answer to this but i think there's a point oh maybe like 20 minutes half an hour and the first time that we're in her apartment where the little boy goes upstairs and meets her and right before that you see that she's got this like planted mushroom that is singing or talking to her at that point and she kind of like she dresses it up with a doily and just kind of acts like it's not there when the little kid comes in and i started wondering much later in the film why her and the troll are both at this apartment building and i don't know if that question ever got answered Right. It's like she doesn't know why he's there, but she's been sitting there apparently prepared for this to happen. It doesn't make any sense at all. It's a weird thing about this movie is like sometimes it's got this really good writing, really good characters going on. And then all of a sudden it forgets what it's supposed to do and it just kind of barrels through it and just expects you to go with it. Yeah, because in Ghostbusters, which was, you know, what, a couple of years before this? They are at this apartment building that has this very, you know, specific architecture that makes it a gateway to this, you know, other dimension. And so maybe they were trying to go for something like that and they just forgot to explain that part because <laughs> <laughs> you've got this troll who lives in the basement and then you have this witch that he's cosmically connected to for what you can only assume has got to be like hundreds of years at this point. And they don't know that they're both in the same place at the same time until things just start to go south. Uh, maybe when she blew the horn, did that tip him mm. off? I don't know. I mean, yeah, she blows the horn later, I think, when she starts hearing the commotion from some of the critters that have sprouted from these green fertilizer pods. <laughs> <laughs> where at first i'm like is he turning him into a turd and then yes <laughs> he splits open and uh, a bunch of greenery spills out of him and it's actually like pretty good stop motion practical effect works at that time as well and another oddity in the film of it just being like is this supposed to be horror or fantasy or both because Sonny Bono, I, Mr. Richardson, I think is his name. He gets injected with some like pinprick from this troll's ring, which yeah. is the first time in the movie that he uses it. But the first time that we see him, he sort of possesses the girl's aura with this ring. And then surprise, he's got a switchblade inside of it and he stabs Sonny Bono. And then Sonny Bono kind of gets like a weird fever going on and his forearm starts enlarging and splitting apart. And then he turns into a pod person and 
eventually just cocoons into a blossoming forest for this apartment and a bunch of creatures pop out of them as well. So there's a lot of like scary imagery. And I think especially if you were uh, at an age where that kind of stuff was still a little bit like over the horizon for you, it would be scary because the creature design is freaky. There's a lot of like puppeteering going on. But on the same note, like the music in the background is what I would say is definitely fantasy music. So it's almost very colorful in the way that it's happening. And I see that it's a PG-13 movie. So again, it's like I'm trying to digest, like, is this made for adults who are trying to like watch something to introduce their kids into stuff that is more scary, but also not have it be the scariest thing? Or is this made for children specifically to be this kind of like fantasy horror environment yeah i i watched it with somebody that hadn't seen it or at least forgot that they saw it um but uh <laughs> when, when sonny bono when his arms started to split and his his face started to inflate and all that they're like ew like they didn't expect it and uh yeah i i i don't know empire uh at that point I don't when they became full moon, I think they became really, really comfortable with what they wanted to do. But when they were doing like back in the this was what, 85, I think uh, it's yeah. listed as 86. But is it, it you know, I, I well, at least at what I'm looking at, it says 86. But I think you're right. The release date. You're right. Yeah, I think they were just trying whatever they could. And because uh, they had already had success with extreme horror, like uh, I think Reanimator mm-hmm. uh, had already been out. They were doing transfers. I I think that they they were maybe uncomfortable going like full on. Let's make it kid accessible. I know. And uh, just for context, you had said Empire, and that is the production house that made the film, right? Yeah, Empire was responsible for Transfers and Reanimator and Troll. I, the, just a, a ton of movies that everybody saw in the VHS shelves at, at that point, but they were actually uh, had success in the theatrical. Mm. Um, I think uh, it was Ghoulies. Ghoulies oh, was okay. one. Ghoulies was the one that really started to get them popular, and that's when uh, that's when old Charlie Band, who uh, was running running Empire, decided, well, we'll just expand. We're gonna go buy a castle in Italy. And we're gonna buy uh, Dino De Laurentiis' old studio in Italy as well, and um, just kept expanding. And and uh, I think that's what ran them into the ground eventually. They they just didn't know how to how to run the business, but they had a good run up until like '88, I think. Yeah, and I mean, they are probably not the first nor the last person to be bankrupted by buying castles overseas. As one of our favorite actors among the film club knows quite well. Now, normally at this point in the show, we get ready to jump into the trailer, but that got pushed to the end this time. However, I still want to take a minute to let you know that this episode of Bad Movies We Love is brought to you by Cenobites. If you have a group chat full of movie friends like I do, then you'll know that movie night snacks are a fiercely contested and contentious topic. Well, All that squabbling is a thing of the past thanks to Cenobites. 
Raised exclusively at Langley Farms, all the fleshy little bits are aged to perfection in Donald's Dungeon, salted with the purest human tears and dusted with cinnamon. With Cenobites, no good suffering goes to waste. So, don't let your stomach end up in the lament configuration. Pop open a package of Cenobites today and taste their pleasures. Once they get their hooks in you, there's no escaping. Cenobites for when you're hungry as hell. Back to the point about this having kind of like a weird crossover between the intended audience. When Sonny Bono's character is going through his transformation into a fertilizer pod, I'm looking at the troll, I'm like, this dude's really pervy. And, you know, this is before he picks up the Playboy magazine. I'm just like looking at his like posture and the way he seems to be enjoying Sonny Bono in pain. And I'm like, he's very pervy. And then he grabs a Playboy, which they don't show you right away that, you know, he just grabs a magazine and he goes and he sits over on the couch and he puts his feet up and he starts flipping through it. And then like you catch one of the pages or the back of the magazine and it says Playboy. So I'm like, okay, if you're an adult and you're watching this and paying attention, like you can pick up on that because, you know, Sonny Bono's a swinger. I think he has already been with a woman a by that point in the woman. film. Yeah, she was disgusted. very disgusted with him. Yeah, not <laughs> disgusting. She was disgusted with him <laughs> as he suggests that she makes him some instant pancakes <laughs> that he's got uh, in his kitchen. And so... Like for me, I'm looking at it like, okay, they're showing that the the troll character is taking joy in the pain of this character, which is fairly dark and adult. And then he goes and he picks up a Playboy and he just kind of sits there enjoying the Playboy, watching this guy transform in pain. And again, this is something that is very adult and it's taking place right after the implication that. Sonny Bono's character, Mr. Richardson, uh, just had sex with this woman. And on top of that, they let the audience know that it's unsatisfying sex for the woman as well. (laughs) So there's a lot of like adult themes that are on the table right there for you to see. But I think maybe if you're a kid, you're just like not really on the right wavelength to pick up on some of that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I want to also the the troll seems to be very obsessed with magazines because later on when he's in the uh, in the brother's bedroom, mm-hmm. he's reading what appears to be a Starlog or a Fangoria magazine at that point. That's so, when like they're both in bed together and he kind of like peeks over and he's like, oh, my God, that's a troll. And then it's like, oh, no, wait, it's my sister. There are adult themes <laughs> in here, but they're not in bed together. They are in separate beds in the same bedroom. Let me clarify that. They are not in the same bed. Right. Yeah. So I don't know what his obsession is with modern uh, magazines, but um, yeah, he's got that creepy smile when, as he's watching all this stuff happen. Yeah. He's, he seems like he's getting off on it. Yeah. He's got like little like twinkle in his eyes as he's watching the pain for these people. And it is funny and now that I think about it that there are a couple of scenes specifically where he casually picks up a magazine as if it's something that he's been doing for a long time. Maybe when people leave their reading material behind in the laundry room and he's <laughs> bored, he's like, all right, well, I've got nothing else but these magazines that were left behind. So let me catch up on today's Hollywood gossip. 
the weird thing is she says that he only appeared on that specific day because it was Valpurgis night. I think is what she she called it. Okay. So where's he been in the meantime? Because he <laughs> that's yeah. a good question. Because <laughs> he looks surprised when he gets shot by the gun. He's like, yeah. oh, that didn't hurt me, whatever that was. But yeah, I was like, he he doesn't really seem to have a full knowledge of modern times. But I also get the feeling that he's pulling some of that memory from the little girl. That makes sense. If he's sort of using her. Yeah, that's why I couldn't quite tell if he's like wearing her skin or if he's just like kind of cast a spell over himself to make him look like the little girl. Because in the communication that he has with the family and the brother from that point, there's times where she communicates as if she has the memory of the little girl that she is. There's other times where it's like the troll opens the fridge wearing his little girl suit and he touches the milk and like freaks out like, oh, it's cold. Yeah. Never felt anything cold before. So there's a lot of like weird little things like that where I wasn't sure what the filmmakers were going for in terms of how the troll magic actually works with his uh, impostering of the little girl. I don't think that's a word, but I'm going to just say it with confidence. That sounds like a word to me. We'll mm-hmm. roll with it. But yeah, well, I mean, I imagine uh, with low-budget films like this, they, they probably had a script and they may have to rework it at the last minute and uh, said, fuck continuity, let's just roll with it. Nobody will care. Yeah, I mean, they just kept motoring right along. And (laughs) I will say, when I was watching this and having kind of talked to you about it beforehand about the existence of this other movie, Troll, that isn't about, or excuse me, Troll 2, which is not about this troll. It's not a sequel to this movie. It's just... Any trolls. Yeah, there's no trolls in it at all. Uh, It's just titled as a sequel to this. But as I'm sort of like using that as a point of comparison for something that is also like low budget horror, there's kids involved, but not quite sure if it's geared towards them or towards their parents. I did see that like this movie at least has like a cohesive linear idea. It is this troll from another time has appeared in this apartment building due to whatever magical event, and then he needs to turn this apartment building into his troll world within x amount of time in order to turn the whole world into troll world yeah something like that that that's the goal if he succeeds in the whole apartment then it can spread yeah so at least like you know step a leads to step b leads to step c like the story progresses in a way that actually makes sense very much unlike troll 2 where some random lady will appear with a cob of corn and <laughs> do, a, do a seductress dance with it and then corn starts popping out of nowhere for some reason so just looking at the two of them side by side it was very easy to see that the people that made this film were conscious of wanting to tell like a front to back story and they wanted it to be a story that was told mostly from the perspective of the kids but the parents also have characters the adults have actual substance to their characters for the most part i mean 
one of the characters we meet is this uh, dwarf who is uh, he's an English professor and he sort of befriends the troll on accident while he's disguised as a little girl, saving him from getting run over by a car. And then the troll just sort of is like, hey, you're an elf and you're my bro now. And we're going to be besties and invites him over for dinner. And when that happens, the parents are of the mindset that their daughter is inviting over uh, like a child to, yeah. to play with. And so when this adult dwarf man walks in with the bottle of champagne, the parents are very taken aback, as they should be. And they don't really hone in on like why the parents are freaked out. But again, if you're a parent and you have kids... This is something I think you can see more clearly. And even if you're just an adult who's much more aware of circumstance, you're going to be asking a lot of questions. Of why is this little girl or in the case of the parents, why is my daughter bringing home an adult man as her as the one friend that she's made here in the day or two that we've been in town? Right. And I uh, that's the great Phil Fondacaro, man. He is been in so many movies um uh he's he's actually really excellent his performance so many of these performances are really good in this really odd movie like michael moriarty is another great actor he plays the dad mm -hmm. um his his reactions to everything going around him are absolutely hilarious um like i think it's the one that's popping in my head is when the kid sits down um harry potter jr uh, sits down with the spear in front of him, and the dad's like, uh, "What are you doing?" <laughs> and the kid's like, "It just in case dragons show up or something." And the look on Michael Moriarty's face is just classic. Um, Phil Fondacaro gives a great performance. Uh, he's also the troll. I I suspected that. I didn't look it up afterwards, but I was like, that would make sense if he's going to play the troll, and then also he's going to play this role as probably the most well-rounded and intelligent and thoughtful adult character as well. Cause then he's getting to play both sides of the spectrum in that way. I mean, like you said, he's been in so many things. He was in what phantasm Two, willow, uh, the doors, what else? He's got so many credits under his belt. Um, he was in one of the Hellraisers. Oh, he's in bordello of blood. Remember that movie? Uh, barely. I try to forget. <laughs> uh he was in sideshow he spent some time on walker texas ranger but yeah like he's got 70s or so acting credits to his name so i found it very interesting that of all of the adult characters in the story he's the guy who got to be like i have a, a past uh that matters to the context of my character I have kind of like a philosophical approach to life that matters to my interaction with the child and with the parents. He, he's like the only fully fleshed uh, adult character that isn't a punchline, which is kind of interesting considering at the time it's like the mid eighties and a lot of uh, film franchises and a lot of films in general were using uh, dwarfs in a lot of different roles at the time. And it was stuff like Willy Wonka or, the Ewoks and it was kind of like Warwick Davis was one of the only uh, dwarf actors that got to have like a career as a face actor for a long time. Yeah. I, um, every time that scene comes up where they're at their dinner table and 
the annoying little girl is like, yeah, you promised you're going to read a story to us. And he starts to read the story and I'm like, oh, God, no. But then I end up, I'm like, okay, well, this is actually pretty uh, compelling. I'm I'm still listening to him tell this story somehow. <laughs> Surprisingly, right? Right. I was going to say, one thing, uh, Charlie Band, again, the guy who ran Empire, mm-hmm. uh, later on when he started Full Moon, he actually made a movie called The Creeps. Yeah, it was The Creeps. And there, uh, some mad scientist was bringing like um, the classic monsters back to life, but there was a mistake, so they were all tiny. So they were all played by <laughs> by, by tiny people. Uh, and Phil Fondacaro was in that. I think he played Dracula, but it was released in 3D uh, very briefly in the theaters, and you cannot find wow. the 3D version anywhere. Wow. Oh, well, he loves he loves little things, so that makes sense. Yeah, I guess it does. Um, we kind of glossed over the fact that the dad is named Harry Potter and that his <laughs> son is also named Harry Potter. <laughs> right. And, you know, this is I don't know when the Harry Potter books were written, but they were definitely after 86, were they not? Correct. So this was the original Harry Potter. Um as a matter of fact, whoever owns the rights now, and I don't know who it was, but they were planning an animated uh, film or series called The Rise of Harry Potter or something <laughs> like that. Troll, The Rise of Harry Potter. Uh, but that got snared up in uh, in legal stuff or whatever, because you could tell, that's just an obvious try to cash grab on that. Hey, you know, I can't say I blame them. They're like, we got to the Harry Potter franchise yeah. first, technically, but we and just didn't do- cash in on it. And he was doing magic and stuff. So, hey, he I was. Mean- he also has a very particular taste in music for a button down cardigan wearing suburban dad. And he gets this very distinct standalone dance number. <laughs> <laughs> which I totally was not expecting at all because it, it it didn't tell me that, Hey, this guy is going to listen to this kind of music, but Hey, that's okay. But secondly, this goes on for a long time. It wasn't just like, okay, we're going to put on the music. We're going to show that the dad is dancing and that he's like, he's, he's an eccentric weirdo and he's got, you know, interesting taste in music and he's more than just suburban dad. Right. Yeah. They're like, no, we're going to make this a five minute long dance scene where it's nothing but the dad dancing. And I think even like the his wife, like walks in on him for a second. She just like, OK, he's doing his thing. Like, I'm out of here. Yeah, she's trying to do dishes and he's playing the music so loud that the dishes are falling back into the sink. Mm, she's getting yeah, she's getting aggravated and, and she can't he can't hear her yelling. So she walks in. And then you see on her face, she's like, oh, this lovable goofball. I can't deny him his joy. And so she just leaves, walks back to the kitchen. I don't know how she's going to do the dishes. I mean, might as well have a cup of tea and wait. Yeah, just wait it out or join in and start dancing with him. Who knows? That would have been cool. I have. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, no, you're good. I'm done. I I had a follow up question about something completely different, but I didn't want to forget about it. Okay. And it's right after this little girl gets her body taken over by the troll. I, I still don't know if that's exactly what happens, but the troll is the little girl at this point, and they're sitting down to have dinner, and I guess it's burgers? Rat burgers, which apparently 
is I don't know if that's the name of the restaurant or what, but she opens the box and it just looks like like a nasty salad. And I couldn't understand like why it wasn't a hamburger because everybody else in the scene is eating what appears to be a regular hamburger. But for some reason, hers is open face. And so I was confused as well. But I don't think I'm supposed to be as confused as the troll who has never eaten a hamburger. <laughs> I think there might be a missing shot in there where she takes the uh, the bun off. Gotcha. <laughs> it just, and she's looking at what is it? But yeah, it looks like a pile of slop. Like, uh, I also think Rat Burger is just what the family calls the restaurant chain. Gotcha. Okay. Because when she takes like the top off and it's just like this pile of slop, I'm like, yeah, that's gross. Like, of course, like the <laughs> troll is freaked out. Um, so I was like, and then I see everybody else eating hamburgers and I'm like, okay, well, that makes sense. And then, you know, she just starts like wolfing this hamburger down like an animal. It turns out like, hey, rat burger is pretty delicious. The troll probably <laughs> has never had fast food in his life before. So he's really into it. Well, at least there were vegetables in there, so you know a little bit of vegetables tie into troll too. Yeah, well, I mean, <laughs> got to get that connective tissue laid down. They're like, this is the thing from troll one that we actually really want to take away from it is these vegetables are going to be important. <laughs> um, I wanted to move on to Julia Louis Dreyfus's character, who doesn't really have that much of a character, and I don't know if I missed something. But all of a sudden, her boyfriend shows up and her door is locked. And she's like going through the transformation process as well, but not quite in the same way that Sonny Bono did. And mm -hmm. I didn't remember seeing a scene where she interacted with the troll. Uh, well, I think didn't didn't she come in as a little girl yeah she came in as a little girl and was talking to her and then they just didn't show anything it all happened off screen gotcha okay because i was like all right well maybe like the weird plant thing that's going on has spread into her apartment and it just kind of happened that way but she doesn't go through the same transformation she gets to basically stay julia louis dreyfus wearing a, a nude bodysuit with <laughs> leaves attached to it and she just running around frolics. yeah she frolics she's having a <laughs> she's having a blast in troll world and then the door eventually opens and the boyfriend gets in there and he gets lured into troll world too and it was in some of those moments where i really had a appreciation for the kind of production design that they used in those moments uh when he opens the door and you see like kind of from the inside of the apartment how the the plant life from the troll universe has taken over the apartment at that point and how he just takes like one step and then hey we're shooting outdoors and it's all done very seamlessly and you know fairly well for 1986 with no money mm -hmm. and uh, that's something that reminded me sort of of the way that they did some set piece designs for shows that took place on like nickelodeon kind of like i don't know i was thinking like legend of the hidden temple i think it was called how you could tell that it wasn't made with like the greatest care in attention to detail, but it was made well enough to 
convey its point. And if this really was intended for kids, like you're gonna not going to stop and ask too many questions. You're not going to see the little troll creatures popping out and realize that they're mostly just like on animatronic pistons jumping up and down. I think there's one in the back that was maybe playing the drums and was like either in full costume yeah. or full puppet at that point. But it does a good job of really getting its message across that all these creatures and this kind of like universe is spilling over into the the regular world that we know as the audience. I got to give, I really got to give a lot of credit to John Beekler. And the, the only reason I pronounce it that way is I met him and I think that's the way he told me to say it. Hey, fair um, enough. Um, but yeah, I mean, he, he had done smaller things before uh, he did a movie called Dungeon Master for Empire where it was like four different like mini movies almost that are supposed to be tied together, but each one was done by a different director. Like like David Allen, the stop motion um, guy did one of them and John Carl Beekler did one. And uh, you can really tell, you know, a John Carl Beekler creature when you see one, you can tell in the face. Like, <laughs> <laughs> so if you look at, ghoulies and you look at all of the all of the creatures in here they all have this sort of same facial feature uh he did one cellar dweller also kind of looked kind of like that as well mm. uh you know a beakler when you see one but uh he he really did a did a fantastic job with this i'm pretty impressed um i didn't check who the uh editor was but or the cinematographer but i'm sure they helped as well but uh you know, in the end, the director, you know, kind of directs everybody on what to do. So uh, I'm really impressed by what he did. This is his first time on a full feature, I believe. Yeah. And only a couple years later, he goes on to do Friday the 13th, part seven. Hell yeah. And uh, he ends up doing uh, Ghoulies Go to College and then <laughs> spend some time on TV directing some episodes of Land of the Lost. And you the remake. His, the remake. Uh, yes, yes, yes. Uh, and his... His creatures, like you said, have a very distinct look around, I would say, the eyes and the lips. Yeah. <laughs> and they've got some busted up teeth. So they're they're menacing, but they're also childlike in a way. So they're not like the scariest thing you could look at. But you could imagine that if you were like a 10 year old or you know in those adolescent years and like you came across something like that that would be enough to really freak you out as an adult like you realize maybe it's only a foot tall so even if it is scary like it's not as menacing but when you're a kid and you're a little bit closer to that thing's actual size i could see that being very off-putting and the design he did for the the stump I believe it is. <laughs> Shut that, <laughs> close that damn door. Right? Uh, he turns the witch lady into a stump at some point. Or, well, he doesn't, but the troll at some point decides to turn his Ex -lover. For, former lover, yes, which as soon as like she got introduced and they show like the portrait on the wall, I'm like, that's got to be the troll, right? These two are cosmically linked. Oh, the, uh, the guy... The guy in the portrait is John Carl Beekler, actually. Oh, is that him? Okay, makes sense. But yes, in looking at it, I'm like, so like maybe the troll was like a prince at one point or something like that, which seems to be basically where they were going with it. And 
somewhere in their fantasy universe. There was a, a power struggle between the troll people and the humanoids, and that's what led to his exile and why he wants to sort of re-troll the entire world at this point. But I wanted to uh, I wanted to point out the uh, production designer for this, which is Giovanni Natalucci, mm-hmm. and just give a shout out because I thought it was actually one of the like more robust and well detailed elements of this film because we had talked about kind of like the slapsticky nature of all the characters just like bumping into each other on the stairs and just having that be this sort of question mark about like why and of course i don't think they built the building you know they probably just filmed on location somewhere but the stuff that they did with the transformation process of real world to troll world was all very well done. And I just felt that Giovanni needed to get some appreciation on that. Oh, absolutely. I mean, and I love the way that the, the maybe jump at the gun here, but that final shot when I'm expecting, Oh, we got to set it up for the sequel. I'm like, how's the troll still there? Because it's not well purchased night or whatever. But uh, yeah, that final shot with the door, boom, that, that was like, Whoa. Okay, cool. That would, that was the way to do it. Yeah, and apparently the troll universe also has really strong winds, like gale force winds. <laughs> and it's it, always bright. It's always bright. It's always sunny, but it's also very windy. <laughs> <laughs> so you've you've brought up the witch lady multiple times. Yes. That is June Lockhart wow. from Lost in Space. Wow. When she turns yes. into young Eunice, that's her daughter. This is Anne Lockhart? Yeah, in luck, I think she was on Battlestar Galactica, but not the new one, the the seventies one. Wow, hey, that's good casting. I mean, we need someone that looks like you, and uh, <laughs> your your daughter is going to be a really good fit for that. Uh, but that that scene is actually very well done too, where the witch, I mean, she's presented as maybe like sixties ish, and she finally like literally lets her hair down (laughs) (laughs) and when she turns around she's back to her younger self so a that was a very creative shot to do that reveal b why was she ever masquerading as an old lady though i you know what i didn't take it as pretending to be an old lady i thought it was her Coming back into and it, like uh, coming back into her m- full power, I think she was gotcha. going to battle at that point, and she's like, "I need to be on you know as powerful as possible." That's the way I interpret it. But again, this movie doesn't sometimes explain things the way it should. Well, she maybe has her the full extent of her magical powers is locked up in that bun that she's tied into her hair. (laughs) And when, so she finally takes out the hair clips and her hair falls, all of the magic comes rushing back and rejuvenates her back into looking like she's in her twenties. Put it in the wiki, put it in the wiki. I'll get on that afterwards. (laughs) I mean, you're probably much more of an expert on this than me. They'll, they'll they'll kick my comments right out of that wiki page. (laughs) (sighs) Um, I wanted to talk about Duke a little bit. This guy comes in, we first meet him and he's, he's just got done with his morning jog and he runs in and he's trying to introduce himself to the family, but he's not really trying that hard because he refuses to take his headphones out. 
<laughs> for a long time. And so it's just another moment of this like slapsticky kind of the dad yelling at him, the guy not understanding because he's listening to music. And this goes back and forth for probably longer than it should before the dad finally just stops humoring him and is like, hey, can you take off your headphones if we're going to talk? Right. Uh, but that character in particular is very weird to me. A, because of that introduction. B, the second time we see him, I believe he's being looked at through the the upstairs window by Troll Daughter. And she's observing him in what looks like military fatigues or something along those lines. And he kind of stops and observes himself in the car window downstairs. So it's like <laughs> he's tidying himself up for some reason. And then he walks off. But when he gets back, he's still it's still the same day. He's still wearing those clothes. He opens the door and he has snakeskin wallpaper. Yes. And so that was the first thing I noticed. I was like, what? <laughs> and eventually Troll Daughter gets in there and surprise, it's a troll. And this is where he's got mounted heads of animals all over the place as if he's, you know, a hunter who spends a lot of time out in the Serengeti or wherever hunting exotic animals. But also it's like, if you're really like a hunter that has that kind of prowess, like, do you live in this apartment building? Probably well, not, but maybe. But also just bought them from an antique shop. That's so, yeah, that brings me to my next point is that, like, I don't really believe that this guy is like uh, the kind of like rich person that's just like, hey, I sport hunt because I'm a D bag and I want to go like <laughs> kill an elephant for no reason. He doesn't strike me as that guy. So I'm like, OK, maybe he bought all of this at like a secondhand store or it's the 80s. So having dead animals around your place like looks cool. I don't know. But the first thing I thought of when like the interaction happens is this guy's got to have a gun somewhere. Right. And so, of course, oh, look, he's got a gun on the wall and it's loaded. So he just takes it right <laughs> off the wall, shoots the troll in the chest to which you said the troll is just like, oh, look, I'm surprised that the bullet didn't actually even hurt me. OK, time to take your gun. I'm going to twist the the rifle barrel into a pretzel. So we know we know at this point in the movie from a couple of examples that the troll is extremely strong. This troll has like serious old man strength to the point <laughs> where he can he can bend metal and also like one hand throw a adolescent child who's probably in like a close to like 100 pounds at least one hand throw that child across the room with some serious force so we know that this troll is not to be messed with at all in hand-to-hand -hand combat and i think once that bullet does nothing you can see the guy's just kind of frozen like uh i don't know what to do and then the troll whips out his switchblade stabs the guy again turns this guy into a plant pot i think as well so he's slowly going around one by one, eliminating all the people. And I guess as I'm watching the events unfold, why not start with the family that he lives with? Like, why let the brother kind of just 
roam and be a problem the whole time? Why not eliminate the parents of this little girl right away? Why go to all of the neighboring apartments first and just leave like the family unit intact? Was there a strategic reason that the troll did this that I missed? Um, the only thing I can think of is that it's a safe space. It's a home space where, you know, uh, if if uh, the whole family disappeared, I think there would be questions. And if there's only a little girl there to answer the door, who knows? But everybody else is mostly single, except for Julia uh, and her boyfriend. Um, so maybe get take care of them first. Then you take care of the family. Um, and they'll be the easiest ones to get. Because they already trust her. That's a good point. I, the family yeah. can also provide magazines and oh. rat burgers. And yes. I'm just, I'm guessing that the troll was like, hey, you know what? Like here I have a bed and a room. <laughs> like this is much better than living in the laundry room. So right, let right. me just not rock the boat. I'll I'll confuse the parents <laughs> and I'll I'll keep my brother guessing. And you know, but then yeah, by not taking care of the brother who was the problem to begin with. Like that whole story unfolds where he meets the old lady and he starts to learn about all of the troll history and the magic backstory and eventually comes up with the plan that is needed to, you know, save the day. So it just seems like a gross miscalculation by the troll. But you know what? When you've been living in a basement laundry room for a long time and you're just looking to get out, you finally get to put on the skin of a little girl and go play in the street. You get to read magazines and eat candy and rat burgers. You know, maybe he's just a little overwhelmed, overstimulated with all the new things of the 20th century. I, I guess so. But again, I don't think he was living in the laundry room. <laughs> <laughs> I think he just showed up there that one day. Yeah, that's quite possible. Like whatever happened, that tear in the space time continuum opened and he just happened to stumble out into the laundry room of all places where Eunice happened to be living. I, it doesn't make any sense. Cosmically linked. I wanted oh. to ask you as well. Are there actual words to the troll song? Oh, my God, dude. Oh. <laughs> I, uh, I was trying to listen. I thought I heard some, but then I'm like, oh, no, this just sounds like nonsense. Um, I, I haven't dug into it, and I, I wish I had remembered to do that. Or at least put on my noise-canceling headphones and, and listened again. But I can't tell. I, I don't think there are. But it's a catchy little tune. It is catchy. And that's why, as I'm listening to it, I'm like, I kind of want to sing along, but I don't know what the words are. And goes, I don't know like that this. they're actually saying words. Mama na ma na mama na ma na ma na na That's how it goes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's Those spot on. Lyrics. That's spot on. You don't even need to know the lyrics. Just da -da 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 -dun, da -da -da -dun. just hum along. It's fine. I was just curious if there was some uh, like actual words or like an incantation happening in that moment, because I'm like, all right, well, this is all magical. And maybe they're doing like a summoning ritual or something like that. And this is something that I need to understand or something that may enrich my understanding of the movie if I actually saw the words. But I had the subtitles on and the subtitles didn't even pick anything up either. So it just said yeah. voc vocalizing. Yeah, I there is a uh, I have this old DVD double feature from years and years and years ago. But apparently there is a Blu-ray that I think Shout Factory put out. And I imagine that there's some behind the scenes and uh, 
and uh, commentary on that. I'm probably, I can't believe I'm going to say this. I'm probably going to buy the Blu-ray of Troll. <laughs> Do it. <laughs> Someone's got to, and it's going to be you. It's, of course, it would be me. <laughs> I, I bought Trog. I mean, come on. I'm, I'll do anything. Hey, man, you got to collect what you want to collect. There's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> I want to oh, ask but, also. Oh, no, please continue. I would tell you something real quick because we yeah. brought up uh, half naked, well, not even naked, but uh, bodysuit Julia Louise Drivers. Yeah. Uh, that her, I learned that the boyfriend is her husband. They married uh, sometime after this. Wow. Isn't How's... he the whitest dude you've ever seen? He's pretty white and he's pretty tall. You know, it looks like they, <laughs> they made him in a lab, like trying to genetically create <laughs> a guy like that. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, that's actually a really sweet story that, you know, similar to what they did with um, Lockhart and her daughter to be able to be like, hey, you know what? We need someone for this role. I'm going to bring in my to be husband at this point and we're not even really be on screen together at all we're gonna have one introduction and then that's kind of the end of it uh before we venture off into the troll universe and just get lost out here in the woods i did want to ask you though the the more closely i watched the plant life i started asking myself are those marijuana plants (laughs) i did not look that close man (laughs) i was like that leaf structure looks very similar And I was like, that would be the kind of thing that this movie would do in that we're going to make this like very childish and it's kind of going to be geared towards kids and all the adult stuff is more or less hidden in plain sight. It's all context. So like if you don't know to look for it, you wouldn't look for it. But as I was watching, I'm like, that definitely looks like weed. Well, that, now you've given me two things that I want to go into, <laughs> into more. I just assumed that they went to the arts and crafts store and, and bought the fake vines and just used that. That's probably what they did. So I'm going to have to ask the craft store people, why did you make these? <laughs> why did you make pot plants the synthetic leaf uh, that you stocked? <laughs> there is something that the witch says to the ki- the boy. Uh, I don't remember the boy's name. Oh, sorry. It's Harry Potter Jr. Of course. That's correct. Yes. They're talking and he he confesses to her that like something's wrong with my sister. I think she's an alien. And the witch says to him, no, she's something else. But there's no time to chat about that. But she couldn't just say like she's a troll. Like she doesn't you know, it's very simple. It's one word. It's the same amount of letters as alien, in fact. But she's like, no, no, we, we can't touch on that right now. Like, I just need you to go and do what I say. And I think that was when she's like, you just have to keep an eye on your sister. And he goes home and he just sits in a chair and stares at the door. It's like, well, already you're failing. You're just sitting there in a chair. You're not even watching her. You're just waiting until she comes back into the house so you can watch her. But right. it, always, it, it, it I found it interesting that they chose to like wrap up that conversation with like, Oh no, it's way too long of a conversation when she could have just been like, no, she's not an alien. She's a troll. Go keep an eye out. So they just, they sidestepped that whole thing. I think for no real reason other than to delay it to the point where she explains that like, you know, that's Turok. He's my ex-husband. And yeah, he came here because it's a weird magic night and he just happened to find me. And, you know, I got to get my battle spears ready and I'm going to give you one of them. But there's a conversation that she's also having with uh, the boy and she asked him about Hiroshima. 
Oh, yeah, I... Hold on here. Please help me with that. I'm trying to remember the context of... Uh, so Harry Potter Sr. is, I think, saying something to her that is dismissing the uh, importance of something. And she goes, do you, do you know what day that uh, the bombs were dropped on on Hiroshima and and uh he says no and i think she's implying that it could be just any day ah. where something like this something could happen and i think it's great michael moriarty falls that out goes honey where's the encyclopedia <laughs> <laughs> i know for a second i'm just like is the date gonna like play into where this is going on like if he finds out the day that these bombs dropped that that's gonna reveal something else about the trolls plan but i like your explanation a lot better than that because it actually makes sense where she's just kind of giving him this knowledge of like you don't always pay attention to some of the details and it could just be you know something bad happens on any given day not mm. it's not guided by the stars essentially right okay well thank you for at least helping me clear that part up well that's amazing because that was one of, I, I don't know why that stuck in my head but i wanted to, to bring that up as well yeah i'm like that's kind of dark like she's going to like the bombing of japan for some reason i'm like where is she going with this and then he's like honey and again, that's something that kids would not pick up on if they were intending this for kids. Very much so. They they start to like move towards the climax of the film, and the apartment is now completely taken over by little trolls, trollettes, trollites, whatever. They're everywhere. Mom opens the door. There's just little demons all all outside the door. So she. Closes the door. Mom's finally like on board with like, hey, something bad is happening. But it's kind of late at that point in the game to finally be paying attention. And I think her son has ventured into Troll World looking for his sister already by that point. He's got his magic spear equipped and comes across his sister in Fantasyland She's being kept in a glass box similar to that of uh, Sleeping Beauty. Sleeping Beauty, yes, thank you. And he he can't quite break into it. And he's like, oh, yeah, wait, I have this magic spear. Boom. Okay, get her out of there. He's dragging her away. And then the big super troll <laughs> creature shows up. I don't know. Yeah, they said look for the biggest, scariest thing. And that will be where the troll has decided to store all of his like troll energy. It's like the heart of of the fairy world or something like that. Yeah, something like that. So that's where the spear has to go. But the son slash brother, Harry Potter Jr., is concerned for his sister's safety, as he should be as a good brother. And he just wants to pick her up and get the heck out of there. And so we see this winged bear orangutan style creature <laughs> i don't know what it is but right i mean it's big it's menacing the the costume design and the makeups for that are actually very very good and it's something that i could see having its place in a lot of other kind of fantasy films of the same era and just fitting in right at home right but in the process of them trying to uh escape this thing 
you know, he loses sight of the spear. They're kind of getting stuck. And then the troll picks up the spear and kills his own monster. Right. Why? Why? Because he he wants to keep the girl. He says, no, not the girl. He actually speaks English at that point. For the first and only time, I think. Yeah. He says, no, not the girl, because she's supposed to, uh, she's after he takes over the world, uh, she's supposed to stay there as his, I guess, princess of the fairies, I think is what she's supposed to be. Um, so yeah, he, he wanted her to stay around. So yeah, he foiled his own plan, dumbass. He did. Yeah. I was, <laughs> I was like, wait a second. I was like, okay, I know the girl has some sort of significance here and she's obviously important because he didn't kill her. He's kept her in this protective case. And the, the witch lady also alludes to something that he needs her to fulfill his plan. But if that's the case, like why have a gigantic rampaging uh, monster that doesn't discriminate against the people that are essential to your plan? It just picks up and starts throwing boulders at them. Flat bottomed boulders, by yeah. the way, I, every one of them. Well, yeah, because they got those from the craft store, too. Of course it did. <laughs> uh, yeah, that didn't make a lot of sense, but I guess the troll would have assumed that the girl would have still been in the protective crystal bed or whatever, and uh, that the monster would have just killed the boy, but he he was too late. So the boy had already, Harry Potter Jr. had already got her out. So now, I guess, since she's so close to him, the monster's just stupid. It's just a big dummy. I think yeah. I, you know what I found you because you're you're saying the design on that is great and I love the yeah. wings coming out from it. Some of the force perspective is great, like it, yeah, it looks absolutely. huge. And then they cut to a to a shot where you can just see it's a big dude wearing a suit and he's almost <laughs> the same size as Harry Potter Junior. <laughs> and it's like they ruined it right at the very end. Yeah, they did a lot of shooting it like from the bottom up, and like so, all you really see is the trees behind this thing's massive shoulders. And it does look like this huge imposing demon for the majority of its existence. But you know, when you make one mistake in the editing room, it's like, Oh wait, that's just a dude who's five ten. <laughs> I, I think now judging by the, the design of the face, that may have been the face design, the, the same uh, animatronic rig that they used for cellar dweller. And you've probably not seen cellar dweller, but I have not. I think it might be the same the same rig. Either that or hey, it's just another John Beekler creation and they all have a similar look. <laughs> yeah, it's quite possible. But in in that scene where the troll decides to like take action because hey, he's literally telling this creature, "No, not the girl." He's like, "What have I done?" So, he picks up his spear and he javelin that thing bullseye right into the creature's heart. And so I don't know if this is, you know, just basic troll knowledge everywhere that they're all really good with spears or if, you know, if, if he had missed or if he had hit it in the face or if he didn't hit it in the heart or something, would it have done the trick? I don't know. But he came prepared and he didn't hesitate either. He immediately said, nope, my girl's in danger. I've activated my throwing arm and he wound that thing up, chucked it right into the monster's chest. And, you know, I appreciate him being willing to emphatically destroy his own plan that way. But also let me know that the troll's not much of a planner. 
it seemed like despite him maybe being the leader of the troll people at one point in time in the fantasy realm he was maybe never the best uh tactician when it came to plans which is maybe why he lost the troll war in the first place and was <laughs> exiled to wherever he was exiled outside the laundry room in the basement of this apartment well i think he was a he was a he was a a, a magician i think himself uh, or a male witch, whatever. Um, and he became power hungry and I think wanted to take over. So he was turned into a troll. That was his punishment. Um, but yeah, he 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 stole that he stole that uh spear from Harry Potter. And uh because he was hoping he would just get killed by the monster, and when the monster didn't, well, he's like he had to use it himself. If he if Harry hadn't brought that with him. Uh, they probably both would have been dead. And yes, what happens to the troll's plan then? Because he doesn't have his fairy princess. I don't know. Yeah, it's they it's didn't seen, think about it. Actually. No, it's it was all headed towards <laughs> a dead end. So it's like the, the troll really had very few options to win in the long run. But he seemed to be doing pretty well up until the point where like he didn't interfere with his ex-wife teaching this young boy all of the tricks of the trade that he was going to need to defeat the troll in the end. It seemed like maybe when you're going around turning people into pod people, you may have wanted to have an offensive against your ex-wife, or maybe he just was still in love with her and he didn't want to yeah. uh, act out against her. You know, they didn't really get into the motivations of that love story so much. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it didn't. Uh, I mean, what's she been doing this whole time? Talking to that mushroom. I don't know. She was uh, like, was she painting? Uh, Yeah, I want a mushroom like that. It was cute. It was cute. And <laughs> the first time the boy sees it, he's really freaked out. And he's like, is that a mushroom? She's just like, yeah, you know, that's my homie. Like, we've been friends for a long time. He's from this fantasy world. Just like, don't worry about it, kid. It's a talking mushroom. It's never... probably 100 years old, too. Yeah. You never seen one of these before? <laughs> <laughs> So now that we've we've really covered the story of this film, I think pretty robustly when it gets to the end and the cops show up. You can kind of tell where it's going and he's like, all right, I got to check the property. And it's like, all right, well, he's definitely going into the laundry room because, of course, he is. And. I'm curious if this was really like designed to have a sequel at some point. Um, well, with Empire, uh, it's it's very likely that that they would have definitely wanted one. I mean, look what they did with Ghoulies. Um, they just kept going. Um, and this was a huge hit, too. Um, I don't know if they knew it was going to be that big, but I'm sure that then in the, you know, they were planning in the back pocket. Like if it does, does work, then uh, we should definitely be able to follow it up. Um, and like we were saying before, I mean, it was, it didn't, it didn't, it didn't cheap out the way I thought it was, you know, with the troll just still being there instead. It's like, oh no, fairy world is still there and still somehow having an effect on our world. Um as for where I don't know where the the rights got messed up, I I don't know how. Uh, Fragasso is that mm -hmm. that the guy that did Troll Two? Yeah, Claudio. Yeah, Claudio Fragasso. I don't know how he ended up with the rights to it. Um, I have no idea. 
It might have been. Well, when did Troll 2 come out? Do you do you know? Off the top of my head, I think it was 89, but okay. I'll, I'll just look it up. So at that point, Empire had already fallen into bankruptcy and uh lost lost a lot of the rights to their movies. So I'm sure it probably got picked up in, in that curve. 1990 was the oh god exact year. Okay, so yeah, well after the bankruptcy. So yeah, they they snapped up those rights somewhere, and just uh, able to do whatever they wanted. And then we got Troll Three, which I think was called Creepers, and there was a Troll Four that was also unrelated. Uh, they just <laughs> because that one movie made money, man. They just slapped it on anything. Yeah, I wanted to ask you also, I don't know if you clarified this at the beginning of our conversation. Did you see this movie in theaters or was this something that was like VHS rental or like afternoon late night TV? So at this point, I was probably 12 years old. I don't know that it came to our tiny little theater in our tiny little town. I rented it on video and then... It was constantly on television. It was on the uh, Channel 11. Uh, I'm sure if anybody remembers regular television, Channel 11 (laughs) (laughs) would play these kind of, you know, the movies uh, over and over again. And yeah, this was always on. And that's that's really where I kept catching it. But I can't remember what they might have cut out of that. I don't remember them really cutting a lot out of like Sonny Bono's transformation or anything like that. It it almost got played as is. Yeah, because nothing is like egregiously sexual or violent. There's no profanity, I don't think, either. So aside from like the implied sexual nature of Sonny Bono's character and some of like the practical effects work, like there's really not much to edit out. Like maybe you could edit out the little scene where he flips to the page that actually says playboy on it, like something like that. But again, like if you're not looking for that, you're not going to see it. It's definitely not a life force. I can't believe they put life force on TV. (laughs) But yes, to people that don't remember how, like network TV used to work. It's like you get the rights to a movie. You only have a certain window for that. So you're going to play it as much as possible and just milk that thing for everything that it's worth. And especially when you have a captive audience of like young, impressionable adolescents that want to see things because they can't just go to the movie theater whenever they want. This is exactly who that movie is for. And I don't necessarily know that it was made to exist and thrive in that space. But I think it was made at a time where it knew full well that, you know, VHS has exploded onto the scene and the home video market was all of a sudden something that was accessible for a lot of filmmakers that were not going to have their stuff in theaters making all of its money at the box office. Yeah, I think uh, Charlie and Empire had to deal with Vestron video at the time. Vestron was huge. And so Vestron was releasing all of their stuff. So they had a pretty good video release as well. And um, I believe, okay, and this is all going off memory of stuff that I've, I've read up on previously. I think Troll probably made back its budget in its first week just playing in New York. 
I think. Um, do you know but, what the uh, budget was? I don't. No, I do not. I don't. I don't think it would have cost a million, right? No, probably no not way. at this point in time. No. Oh, it's, it says estimated budget one point one million. Really? So just barely. This is estimated though, so could have been more, could have been less. Is it adjusted for inflation, Nick? <laughs> I don't think the budget is adjusted for inflation, but <laughs> we could probably see a chart where its gross box office receipts are adjusted for inflation. But <laughs> it does say that it made five and a half million gross worldwide at the box office. So that's a, that's a five to one return. That's pretty solid, to be fair. For for something like this? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, you made five times your money and like the investors are going to get paid back. Like everybody that, you know, had executive producer credits is going to make some money on that. That's that's good stuff. That's a success. And, and we didn't have to release it unrated like Reanimator. Like everybody could actually go see it. Yeah, PG-13. Like they definitely found the way to navigate kind of the sharper corners of what was going to make it an R movie and maybe make it, you know, inaccessible to a certain group of people. So... I could totally see the advertising for this as something that may potentially push you to take your kids to it. If it's done correctly, it could also be like, hey, we're at the age where we're in between like real adult cinema of the time and kid cinema. And this is kind of a nice bridge where we get some adult themes, but also get some childish stuff going on, too. So I could see it capitalizing on you know, that as well. You know, when, we, when we're talking about like how it, it tries to be for kids and adults at the same time. I always think back to like the gate. Yeah. I mean, that one really worked. And plus the gate just looked better. Troll is a dirty, dirty movie. <laughs> it looks dirty. Yeah. The troll looks like it <laughs> smells. The whole thing looks like, it stinks a little bit. I mean, mm -hmm. but that's because it's like a lot of plant life, a lot of like sweaty, dripping creatures. I noticed that, too, as I'm looking at the puppets. I'm like, man, his lips are sweating. Like, why? Why is he all glossy like that? What's he been up to? Oh, and at one point, uh, what, what was his name? Torak. He just has like snot coming out of his nose for no reason. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> like, it's like the suit is too tight on my face and it is fucking with my sinuses. <laughs> Uh, do you want to watch the trailer? Uh, yeah, I'll just go for it. All right, let me see. Uh, screen sharing with Zoom. I know I can show you the picture. So let's go here. And I want to make sure. Yes, yeah, share sound. Okay, got that. Got that. Okay. You can see this? Yeah. All right, let's go. Oh, and there's Troll 2. Once upon a time when the world was Oh my god, this guy's voice. <laughs> little creatures shared the earth with humans. And magic was a way of life. Once upon a time is now. Empire Pictures presents Troll. The weirdest, the rowdiest, the most mischievous, and the scariest little <laughs> creature of them all. <laughs> What he's doing is going from apartment to apartment 
and transforming sections of this building into different fairy worlds. The transformation is going to begin on the Witch's Sabbath, the very same day that the Potters move into their new apartment. I've never seen so many guys take so long to move so little furniture. It's all your records. Records. Sometimes I wonder what Yeah. don't know is that they've just moved into the building that is the enchanted gateway to the ancient there you go of troll. <laughs> Wendy That's that kid stuntman took a big bump right there <laughs> about to be drawn into a world beyond his wildest fantasy and he'll need a little magic of his own nice Harry Potter Jr. expected to have a little trouble <laughs> getting adjusted in his new neighborhood Expected anything like this. Troll, where myths and legends. I mean, look how huge that movie looks, man. I mean, it, it looks like way beyond its budget. Yeah, and I was curious because, you know, we had talked about like who the designated audience for this was, like who's the target demo. And I think it's pretty obvious that this was geared towards kids. Like they make it yeah. very clear that Harry Potter Jr. It's his story. It's his sister. He's the one who's got to do the protecting. And they still do it in a way that made it seem like it was like dark fantasy. And I don't know that I have like a good point of comparison for it off the top of my head. But maybe that's something that you can help with. Uh, man, I... Troll is its own special beast, man. I, I <laughs> can't think of anything to compare it to. <laughs> hey, fair enough, man. Uh, where are my other windows? I know I had one somewhere. Yeah, that trailer went by. There were some things that it was like, oh, I want to talk about that. No, I can't remember. <laughs> I mean, we've covered a lot. Uh, yeah, you would definitely mention that there was some stuff that you wanted to talk about. And I want to give you the opportunity to do that if we have not covered it. So is there anything that you have specifically set aside for this conversation? I know you watched the movie a couple times and you had some some specific thoughts you wanted to share. Um, yeah, well, I, we, we covered a lot of most of it, but I, I found the uh, as I was doing, I, I tried to do a little research for this and I ended up going down a uh, a discussion rabbit hole on some website. I don't know. And somebody was just talking about the whole history about how the you know the whole going bankrupt and all that worked and it turns out there was this one particular like banking uh entity or whatever and they were interested uh involved with new world pictures i think were they involved with caroca at one point 
But all these old independent uh, movie studios were all wrapped up in this one bank that was doing questionable lending and things like that. And uh, that's that's how a lot of them ended up going going bankrupt. So some of the ones that, you know, I think uh, even De Laurentiis with his uh, his second second company had been wrapped mm-hmm. up in that. And a lot of them ended up going bankrupt. And now all of them, all of their like library are all owned by MGM. Wow. So like, yeah, everything from Empire and all these other ones all ended up in this one sale to try to recoup the money. And it's all they're they're all owned by MGM now. It's quite fascinating, I would say. But uh yeah. of course, Charlie Bryant, Charlie Band, he's he he just sprung up the very next year after going bankrupt, started up full moon pictures, and it was little tiny things and no looking back. Hey, I mean like when you're a creative and you're an entrepreneur, what else are you gonna do? Make make movies about tiny little things. Yeah, I mean it didn't have to be tiny little things, but if that's like your thing, then go for it, hundred percent. And it he's seems like, like that's what he did. He's like the opposite of Bert I. Gordon. Bert I. Gordon wanted everything big. Charlie <laughs> wants everything tiny. Um, <laughs> hey, there's something to be said for like creepy things that are small, like especially when. You see, like in this movie, like the troll, like he's like I said, he's got that Superman strength. So even though he's small, he's still very menacing, creepy, perverted. Yes, but dangerous. <laughs> that sounds like a tagline. Well, <laughs> yeah, if I were doing PR for this movie back in the day, then and I was trying to market it to adults. I probably would have used something like that. <laughs> I love it. Oh, man, this is this has been a blast, dude. I, yeah. I, well, we've oh, arrived. Yeah, go wait, for it. One more thing. Yep. Do you know? Do you know who? Did you recognize the little girl? When the movie first started, the first note that I put down was this little girl is very familiar, but I couldn't place her. And then I could only think like poltergeist, maybe. But that's exactly what the person I was watching with it, uh, watching with said, uh, is that the girl from poltergeist? I'm like, oh, hell no. Uh, she's a much better actress than this girl. Um, and so, and but I'm like, <laughs> Yeah, she's in something, but it's not going to be a big budget something. It's going to be something smaller. And so I went and I finally looked it up when the movie is over. She was the, she was the alien human hybrid baby from V, the the original TV miniseries. Yes. Wow. Yeah. My mom. My mom loved that. I only like ended up seeing some of the remake. I didn't really see a lot of the first one, but. Yeah, the first one had a huge impact on us back in the day, and especially when that birth happened because there was born as twins. There was one was a lizard baby, and one looked like a regular baby, and it grew up into this this annoying little girl. <laughs> well, it sounds like something that I actually would want to watch given the opportunity. So I may have to go back and see who's got the rights to V and where that's streaming. Yeah, yeah, or, or you could. I'm sure you could buy an out of print. DVD or Blu-ray for $150 somewhere. Yeah, probably. Um, We have arrived at the point in the show where we go to Critics Corner and we see what the critics, who hated this movie, by the way, had to say about it. And there's only five of them that are part of this group that I'm going to read, so it's not going to be that long. Now, are are these modern reviews or are these reviews from the time? Well, based on the fact that this one is from TV Guide magazine, I'm going to say this is probably an old one, uh, but it looks it looks like there's some other ones also that are newer 
they're not dated, so I can't really see it. But it's more fun that way. Okay. We'll just see like who the outlet is that had the review. And then that'll kind of give you like a time capsule of like, oh, this thing doesn't exist anymore. So, OK, uh, the, but the first one is from TV Guide magazine. It does not have an author attributed, but the pull quote is the special effects supervised by director John Beekler, who was the effects man on Ghoulies, are pretty poor. Essentially slimy rubber creatures with a limited amount of movement and the seams from their molds clearly visible. So this person, for whatever reason, decided to hone in on just that, where for me, it's like, hey, I didn't set the bar very high. So I thought the creature effects were totally passable. But on rewatch, I'm definitely going to look for the seams. (laughs) <laughs> maybe they're right maybe they're right i don't know i don't know how you can come out thinking that they're the worst part of the film right uh and so that was a 25 on a scale of 100 and the la times gave it a 30 just said clunky poorly executed shocker so whatever that's not really a very detailed explanation of criticism it's not really a criticism at all that, uh, that, that movie is not clunky man it just keeps going it does. It doesn't. It doesn't stop. No, and like I said, in, definitely in comparison to Troll Two, like it hits its plot points. Like you, you know where the movie is going. It has an end in sight, and it works its way to get there. So I could understand being like, "Hey, this didn't really like shock me, or it wasn't scary." Like, okay, those are at least realistic. But to think that it's like clunky, it doesn't like operate well. I don't think that's a fair assessment. Maybe when they're first crashing into each other in the stairwell, you're like, okay, this is very slapsticky, but neither here nor there. But the New York Times also gave it a 30. And this was Janet Maislin. Troll has a knowing tone that's more smart alecky than clever. And it hovers uncomfortably between comedy and horror without ever landing decisively in either camp. The film is as funny as it gets in a sequence that has Sonny Bono pretending to be a great ladies man. So at least this is like, hey, I spent some time to actually have an opinion on this and it didn't work for me, but here's why it didn't work for me. So at least the New York Times gave it a fair enough shake. Variety scored it a little bit higher at a 40, said Troll is predictable, dim-witted premise executed for the most part with surprising style. So, you know, it starts low there, but then picks up at the end, gives it credit for having surprising (laughs) style. Uh, And then the final one I'm going to read is by Time Out. Also, the most positive gave it a 70. I always work my way from the lowest to the highest so that we can end on a good note. And uh, this review from Time Out says it's an amiable and humorous fantasy come fairy tale. And yes, that is come (laughs) C-U-M in the Gremlins mold. The whole thing is jogged along nicely by the cast, especially the excellent Moriarty jigging around maniacally to his 60s records and has exactly the right balance between childlike wonder and gentle self-parody. And so I'm guessing that that is a much more recent review because I know Time Out is a more recent uh, source anyway, but that is written through i think the scope of somebody who's able to look back at it and see what it is with enough distance from it rather than someone who got an assignment from their editor to go see this and review it right yeah i got to see a movie for free and i hated it right Uh, (laughs) i think the maslin review 
Is that how you pronounce her name? Is it Maislin or Maslin? It's M A S L I N. So I oh, went I with Maislin just because right. it's New York and I watch Marvelous Miss Maisel, but you know, okay. I could be completely wrong about that. Janet this, M. I think that's the one where she praises Moriarty's uh, dance scene, if you read through it. She mm. like d- devotes a whole paragraph to talking about how awesome it is. Hey, I mean, yeah, this was written January 17th, 1986. Uh, I don't have the exact moment. I took, in I took a where... screenshot. Hang on. Oh, because yeah. I was like, this is Get hilarious. It. Get it. Hold on. Like okay. I said, when we briefly talked about it, I was like, yeah, they really dedicated like a solid five minutes to this whole scene right here. In making the transition from special effects whiz to film director, John, John Beekler may have lavished more attention on his mechanical creations than his cast, who seem at a loss whether to aim for chills or for laughs. Well, that's the whole movie, honey. <laughs> the only standout is Moriarty, who has a bravura stri- scene displaying some yuppie soul as he awkwardly gyrates around the living room to blue cheers, summertime <laughs> blues, mimicking guitar solos and drum rolls, totally oblivious to the goings-on in the rest of his household. It's the kind, this is my favorite line, it's the kind of goofy rave up that gives the film a blast of delirious energy sorely missing from the rest of this lunk-headed fantasy. Oh, God, film reviewers, you're awesome. Yeah. Rave up and lunk-headed. <laughs> oh, my Lord. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's a reason this movie doesn't have, like, the greatest uh, <laughs> reputation. I think, what is it on IMDb? It's a 4.6 out of 10. Uh, it has a 30, 30 even on Metacritic, which, you know, Damn. also not good. Um, but, you know, it is what it is. And like you said, it's kind of a it's its own thing. Uh, it doesn't really have like a good point of comparison around its own era, maybe in terms of dark fantasy comedy, I guess, is where it would ultimately land. Because it's like it walks that tightrope between like wanting to dip its toe in the horror genre without being like, hey, we don't want to commit to being a horror film because that's not really like who this is intended for. We don't want to make this movie rated R. We want to have fun with it. And, you know, I think that's ultimately where it lands. It's fun. Is it the best movie ever made? Of course not. But this show is called Bad Movies We Love. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I have a real love hate relationship with it, man. I I I I I watch it and I'm like, you know, that was way better than I remember or expected, and then I get a ne- more negative opinion of it as I step away from it, and then when I go back to it, I'm like, no, this is actually kind of okay. I really creative. Yeah, like I would say that if I had kids that were like in the ten year old range that I was trying to like introduce to some darker themes and maybe like, Hey, maybe they'll like horror movies at one point, but I don't want to like make them catatonic right now. This is the kind of movie that I would definitely dust off the old VHS for and put on. Yeah. Don't, don't let them grow up like me. Don't, don't let them see the thing and American werewolf at like 11 or 12 years old. I I did that too. So I think we're, we're okay. (laughs) We're okay, but I would maybe be a little bit more uh, interested as a parent 
like kicking that down the line because my mom showed me a lot of rated R stuff when I was way too young. So I was like, maybe I would be a little bit stricter when it comes to like what I would allow and what I wouldn't. But, you know, kids are going to see what they're going to see. You're going to go to a friend's house and see something like this or probably much worse these days. So, you know, you could do a lot worse than showing your kid troll. Absolutely. You could have a blast with it, I think. Yeah. And the final question that I typically ask my guests is it's kind of like a it's a pendulum question that is. If somebody liked Troll and they wanted to see another movie that was similar, what would you recommend? Or if they have not seen Troll and you want to give them a point of comparison to help them make the leap to actually watching Troll, what's that movie? Uh, we're going to go right back to the gate. One of one of the I, I love that film. Um, it's not near as flawed as Troll. It's got some amazing effects. It's got some real, well, now that you see, now that I'm thinking, because we have that heartfelt stuff with um, with uh, Phil Fondacaro and Troll, but uh, there's also like some real emotional weight in The Gate. Um, it's it's a, a much well better made movie that toes the line between uh, scary and um, accessible. I think the gate is is probably the best one. Yeah, it's another PG-13 movie. Same ballpark runtime as well. Less than an hour and a half. And although I would say it's probably like a little bit scarier, I think that is a really good landing spot. If you like the gate, check out Troll. If you like Troll and haven't seen the gate, check out the gate. Wait. And that's it, man. That's how we do the show. Awesome. Thank you you for your time. I appreciate it so much. And I thank you for bringing a movie to the table that I've never seen and that I got to enjoy for the first time with a set of adult eyes. But I do kind of wish I could go back to being 10 and watch it as a 10 year old, because I think that would be quite the experience. Yeah, you definitely won't see the seams when you watch it as a child. (laughs) I'm looking for those (laughs) seams. I'm going to watch this movie again. 80. 82 straight minutes or something like that 83 minutes i'm looking for nothing but seams on these monsters the whole time i'm going to count the number of seams i see well hopefully there's a 4k so then yeah you you won't miss them nope 4k restoration those seams are popping um but (laughs) yes again thank you so much for your time uh i hope you have a good rest of your evening if you want to hang out for a minute after i end the recording and talk about the stuff with the the editing software i'm happy to do that i don't know that i have the answers but maybe i can help yeah absolutely hey man thanks so much for having me on thanks again to nick's eclipse for bringing a movie like troll to the table we obviously had a lot of fun talking about it and you can hear about a lot more weird movies like that on his new show and as soon as it drops i will be sure to shout him out here on the show And my sincerest thanks to all of you who took the time to listen to this episode. I know your time is valuable and you have a lot of options when it comes to your podcast. So if you spent that time with us, I really do appreciate it. If you'd like to be a guest on the show, you can reach me at nickattheshist.com or you can reach out to me at Bad Movies We Love on Twitter for the time being. And that's Bad Movies We Love with a L-U-V. This show is an extension of thescheist.com and... The podcast is recorded, edited, mixed, produced right here in the home studio by yours truly. So until next time, stay safe, be well, and have fun 
no matter how you get your movies.